Then all of a sudden, like detraining hits, you know, world is flipped upside down and then the symptoms return. Our expectation would be that he gets back to that good place once life normalizes. But in the meantime, it's trying to give him back some of that fitness. All right, guys, welcome <laughs> to the first really well episode <laughs> of the Clinical Athlete Podcast Coach's Corner. We are live. We thought that this would be a really cool thing to do because we don't really edit our podcasts other than just like putting intro music and putting, um, you know, the mid-roll ad and putting the outro, but we don't edit the content. So we, it's like, we might as well do these live because it would be really cool to have the audience chiming in. We have a chat going and we, you know, the Adaptable Business webinars have been really fun because of that, the vibe that you guys put out there um, during the call. So we thought that why not do it as a podcast? And John had an awesome idea of starting with this theme, which is kind of just talk and shop. Like, you know, we have these conversations anyway, when we're talking about difficult cases and just, just talking about coaching and best practice in general. So why not make it a show? And um, that's, here we are, the first one. This is super cool. And uh, if you're not familiar with the three peeps who are usually on the podcast, my name is Quinn Hennick. Jared Maynard is, where's your hand, Jared? Canadian, our favorite. John Flagg, our favorite beard out there in um, Maryland. And I'm based in Southern California. And we have our dearest intern, Taylor Allen Flanick, who started her internship this week, two days ago. Our very first intern, clinical athlete intern, very first one. And she's going to sit in on this conversation, maybe even give some two cents and maybe uh, also curate some of the chat and, and um, read off some of the questions that you guys have that are relevant. She may even read off the dumb ones. No, I'm just kidding. There's no such thing as dumb question. <laughs> maybe. I don't know if that's like a philosophical debate that we could have. Uh, but that's what Taylor's going to do. And we want to welcome her to the team. Thank and you. we do that by putting her through some fire. So make her feel uncomfortable. Ask some really difficult questions that then we'll make her answer. Great. That's how we'll Go do this. For so it. Who wants to start talking about some coaching stuff? John? Stuff? Some coaching stuff? There's plenty of coaching stuff we can talk about. Um, so I'm going to – the first one I want to talk about is – one, him and I have been trying to figure something out for a little bit. Uh, worked with me. God, we've been working together for probably over a year. And smooth sailing, hitting PRs on squat, bench, and deadlift. Really started to get over some chronic low back pain that he, he had been having. Um, a little bit of radiculopathy down into the hip. Kind of complained about it being sciatic type. Um, but no other, you know, no real red flags or anything like that. Doesn't... Um, get elicited with any other type of daily movement or anything like that. And then COVID hit. So he was without equipment for about a month and a half. Ordered um, a few things from Rogue, came in, and a lot of those symptoms have kind of reemerged. The tricky part, and what I want to kind of bounce off you guys, is the presentation is – is not something I've seen commonly. I've, I've seen it with one other athlete. It is not necessarily something that, uh, that on the surface makes a lot of sense, but he only gets pain towards lockout in a full squat or in a full deadlift. Knee up, like RDLs, lily shrugs, heavy RDLs, stiff leg deadlifts, nothing. Um, 
any type of unilateral work, split squats, uh, anything like that, front squat is fine. If you do partial, um, if you do like an Anderson or like a like a pin squat, that's fine. It's just the full range of motion. And we've been experimenting a little bit with adding bands and have had some success there. But from that context, is there anything else you guys could think of or any other questions you could kind of bounce off to, to help me kind of wrap my head around this a little bit? I had a couple. Um, forgive me if you said it at the start. Was was there a discrete injury at the start of things or were these just sort of symptoms without a, a label? Not really a label. Um, okay. Just one of those things. It, it, it crept up on him over time. Uh, he also works with the federal government, so it's a lot of commute, sit, get get to work, sit, commute back, sit. Um, right. But it, it was there wasn't anything where it was like, this happened. It right. was one of those insidious kind of, oh, hey. Right. And you said you and he have been working together for over a year at this point. Mm-hmm. How long have the symptoms been around for him? They had been around uh, when we first started working about six months and had gotten very severe, um, limiting sleep, okay. that whole thing. We got nearly pain-free uh, to the point where he was back to previous performances with no issues and then COVID. Right. Uh, last question for now. Is velocity um, relevant for him in the full movement lifts? And just sidebar before you answer that, not saying that I've got the same thing as he does, but for me, it's full range squat and deadlifts that seem to bug me the most. I also don't think that I have the same sort of symptoms with RDLs or stiff legs or that sort of thing. And velocity seems to be uh, a thing that I can control. So inherently, I'll slow down the lockout when things are a little bit flared up. Curious if that's the case for him. So we have tr- we have slowed down the lockout mainly because it would be executed with a lot of apprehension anyway, because he was like anticipating, but it doesn't decrease the symptoms. And the other interesting part with this case is that intensity almost has nothing to do with it outside of like, well, I'm, I'm getting pretty heavy. It's not getting worse. Like the pain is not getting worse. However, it makes me apprehensive to go heavier because it, it's just like, well, from 135 all the way up to four is the same. And speed, none of that changes anything. Range of motion, it it's just kind of a, it's an interesting case. Quick, quick note for everyone. I, didn't, I forgot to mention this before, but all the people who are in attendance, feel free to start, you know, the chat, make it live, start to have conversations. You throw out your thoughts, throw out questions. If you have a real specific question that you want to ask, like you want us to be able to get to or to increase the likelihood that we'll see it, use the Q&A box. That's completely separate. Q&A box. The chat can be like a conversation that you guys are just having kind of constantly as we go here. Now, back to the case. John, you said the pain occurs at lockout when standing from the squat or dead? Yes. Is it on? So let's, so an RDL or a deadlift where they're lowering, the lowering portion does not cause the symptoms it's the nope. lockout and it's sumo or conventional by the way what about so an rdl lockout doesn't hurt nope no sir even if it's the same weight as a as the conventional deadlift the deadlift will hurt but the rdl won't we've actually been able to overload the deadlift beyond what he's comfortable overload the rdl you mean uh, yeah yeah overload the rdl beyond what he's comfortable full deadlifting so then okay so let's take that for a second because like i like to 
look at that as a as what's different from the RDL because it can maybe kind of clue us in on something. Like what? And I'm throwing this out there as kind of a brainstorming question. What's different about an RDL? So the, its load doesn't matter here because a lot of people would say, well, the RDL is usually lighter, but that's not the case here. From a position standpoint, um, being over the bar, maybe like more comfortable in that. Uh, it's possible. I think the biggest thing for me, at least looking at the way he lifts, is it seems like there's, if you isolate hip extension, it's fine. If you have hip extension with a knee extension moment, like going through the full deadlift or mm. squat, it seems to reproduce things. We've been able to add a pause. doesn't change it. We've, I haven't even, I haven't tried deficits for other reasons. Question. Um, yeah, go ahead. I know the deficit question was uh, in the chat, but it, let's go the other way. What about blocks? Like what if he was pulling from the top of the knee off the blocks? Tried it. And I mean, with that, if it was above the knee, then not much of a problem, but below the knee, it did same symptoms regardless of, uh, what's that? There was also a question about pause deadlift from full range. Does that, yeah, that in some way? Yeah. It's same, something? same symptoms. What if the art, what if he took an RDL past the knee? Haven't done that. But it's not like, the down part, right? It's, it's not the down part. hang out. Like he could do a, a Jefferson curl. Yeah. And no problem. And he's not getting those radiating symptoms. So he's not None. flexion. It's not flexion intolerance that we would think typically is more of a sciatic mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. He's fine with that. Um, so someone asked about neurodynamic testing and if it's clear. So, yes. And like all daily living stuff is all perfectly fine. Neurodynamic stuff is fine. He, slump testing and everything like that has been okay. It is just, and it, it's isolated to just this at this point. How Getting far out of down? Car, yeah. All that stuff is normal. How far down the leg? Yeah, because neurodynamic testing, a lot of it's like flexion and tension related. Like you're trying to put the nerve on tension, but that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to be what reproduces a symptom. It's, the concentric lockout, how far down his leg does it go? Back of the knee. Goes down to the back of the knee. Is it one side? Uh, so it will flip. Yay. Perfect. This, these, are, these are the fun ones. I, I brought a, a ringer for the first one, guys. Sorry. Um, Damn it. it. It is typically on the right, but he will occasionally get it on the left. But it'll only be one side at a time. When, he cent when it centralizes, is it like... SI area, or is it like middle of the back? Like middle of the back. Stumper. Well, the RDLs is what kind of stumps me. Like, the, uh, so which squats, back squat versus front squat versus low bar versus high bar, like any differences there? Uh, back squat, regardless of, of bar position, um, he's a moderate stance squatter. Front squats don't seem to elicit the same thing. So we're, we're driving pretty hard into them right now just because we can get a, a good response out of the training from that. Um, there is, in that case, probably an anterior load component there. And, and I think, personally, I think there's an expectation there as well where it's like, oh, it's front squats, whatever. Um, I'm just going to front squat and everything's going to be fine. Um, but front squats, we've been able to tolerate at a, at a much higher and more frequent level with pretty high intensity. 
What about like a, um, a unilateral hinge, like a split stance RDL or something like that, like same symptoms when he's coming up or even if those are even in the program? They They're there. Be, uh, we, we have a single leg deadlift in there. We have single leg RDLs loaded. Um, he finds them to be awkward, mainly because he it's just not something he's typically used to doing anyway. Um, but it's not super challenging and doesn't create symptoms. So the way up either side, no problem with those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Alex Dirksen asked, is, is it just because the RDL is novel, whereas the squat and deadlift is more commonly recreates the apprehension, which may feed into the pain experience? I would, if, if he wasn't, and A, if he wasn't my athlete, and I, I have people RDL frequently, um, it, it's, so it's not a novel movement to him, um, then I would say that's a possibility. But for him, RDLs have been in the program in some capacity at some point pretty frequently. What's uh, the bottom one from Jordan? Yes, Jordan said, is there a chance that when he pulls from the floor, he isn't creating tension in the hamstrings and changing the force distribution? It is possible. Um, so this is slightly related, but unrelated, but unrelated. He also lives on like a third story apartment. So he can't really like put weights down too terribly easily. Uh, he typically does a good job creating tension in the posterior chain when he pulls. Uh, there's definitely apprehension at that point right now. Uh, but I haven't seen it to the point where you see like a posterior weight shift or the hips rising early in the lift. He's been consistent in execution. And with his execution, it looks the same from beginning of the move, like beginning of intensities, 135 all the way up to heavier weights. Um, and there's not a, a large amount of deviation there where I would go, oh, okay, let's let's work on this. Um, and even so, it would still make the squat symptomology scratch my head a little bit. Mm. Well, I was going to throw out an idea off of Jordan's question and just going back to the fact that the RDL feels okay with heavier, with as heavier, heavier lows in the deadlift using a high hip deadlift from the floor is just maybe an entry point to get him back into it. If I don't know why, but maybe to Jordan's point, maybe just having more pretension in the posterior chain for whatever reason, you know, augments his ability to pull, you know, all the way through. I would just, cause he can still lower that down under control, but it's basically like an RDL and it's much less knee bend to get down to the ground only as much as he would need to actually touch the floor. And then like, one of the, it's one of those exercises where you wouldn't coach this as a technique. It's <laughs> like ass way up in the air, you know, pulling from the floor, but it might be a way for him to load it. I don't I like that idea. Actually. I haven't thought of that. Um, to almost look at, you know, I've, I've had people do um, stiff leg deadlifts or, or sumo stiff legs starting from the floor yeah. in a, in a, in a, in a position like that. So that could expose him to that a little bit and see if we can get, I like that idea. We also had a couple of questions about um, touch and go reps or touch and go reps kind of like with some control. So there's not like a loss of tension in the bottom, that kind of thing. We haven't tried those um, mainly because coming down from, from lockout, he's 
not necessarily in the best mindset to like go again. Um, we've been doing full resets to see if it, it would help, but we could try that, especially during warm up sets to see if that um, can help mitigate a little bit. Maybe, maybe that first rep can be what we would call in weightlifting a halting deadlift where you actually stay over the bar. So the first repetition, he doesn't even lock out. And then from there it's down into like a high hip touch and go deadlift. Oh man. So maybe you get past that first rep. That's going to be a little iffy. See, this is where the gold starts to come through. Yeah. No, I could see how that could grease that groove a little bit for him too, a little bit. And these are all, you know, if people are asking, well, is this just going to be, these all seem like workarounds. Well, yes, that's the, that's kind of the point. Cause when let's say all this COVID stuff, you know, once it starts to normalize, because you guys were in a good spot, you were training normally, like he was almost pain free. So I feel he was probably in a spot where he was like, yeah, if this is as bad as it is for the rest of my life, like I'm cool with it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like detraining hits, you know, world is flipped upside down and then the symptoms return. Our expectation would be that he gets back to that good place once life normalizes. But in the meantime, it's trying to give him back some of that fitness I mean, I remember the first day he came back from lifting. He was like, why do I feel like I got hit by a bus? Just because everything was sore. You know what I mean? Like his, his triceps were sore and his triceps are never sore. And like upper traps were sore and those are never sore. And, you know, all, it just, it, it, was a, it was a shock to the system a little bit. And uh, I think this kind of, not only did it, show how deconditioned it, it took a month, but it was also a bit of a, a psychological shock to be like, Oh man, which is going to ramp some of this stuff up anyway. Mike had a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts on reverse band. Sorry. Sorry, Taylor. I always do this. No, you you're good. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> Mike asked what are your, have you tried reverse bands? I can't, we don't have the setup currently for him okay. to be able to do that. Um, all he really has is, I think, three three fifteen worth in weight and squat stands and a bench. Um, so you know, setting anything up like that in his apartment's just a no go. Uh, but when gyms open back up, that is the first thing on my list mm -hmm. is to get some bands set up and do some reverse band stuff. Now for the squat, that's we haven't really even kicked that around yet, but. Uh, I can't remember what you said. Is, is wide stance versus narrow versus his regular stance? Any change in symptoms? No changes in stance, but front squat is is better. So that's we're just we're just going with front squat right now. Um, I think the next thing I'm going to do because we don't have squat stands uh, is to actually have his warm up focus around some sort of isometric drive into pins mm. at a symptomatic range. Oh, that's a good and, idea and play with that a little bit, but we, we just don't have access to that sort of thing right now. Um, just so I can get some exposures there at, a, at what would be considered a high intensity, even though we don't have to go through a range of motion, um, hopefully get some desensitization and then be able to squat. And then similar thing that you were talking about, I have no problem with like partial reps when it comes to the squat. It's a lot more difficult to do with a deadlift, but I mean, I, I pause people in a bunch of different places. I have no problem pausing in the hole, pausing halfway up, and then just going right back down into the squat and locking the last last rep out so you can re-rack it um, to, about, to work around a little bit. What about loading them up heavy? So you can't do isometrics, but you could do like overloading quarter, basically basically liftoffs out of the rack. Like, because it's the lockout that hurts. You put You set the rack to where it would be like a quarter squat or like a, the dip bottom of a dip 
of a push press or something. And then you load that up really heavy and you just stand with it. I, just some, just some things to supplement the, like what you said, the painful area. It doesn't yeah. take away. It does. That's not his, his squat replacement, but it's a way to kind of like hone in on the specific area that hurts. No, you, can, you can overload it. Yeah, you can overload it. If we had weights enough to oh, overload that's right. him, that's right. then then that would work out really well. I think that's, I mean, that's a tricky part too, is because we're in a, we're in a spot right now where equipment is at a, at a minimum. So we're just trying to find a way to work through. <laughs> you can do some rebounds and just like three, 315 gets real heavy when, it's, when gravity helps. I want you to squat jump first. Yeah, yeah. And then try to stabilize it right in that spot. Okay, this is... <laughs> what what um, happened Josh, to your guy, John? Uh, Joshua asked about good mornings or a Kang squat. So it kind of mimics the deadlift, but still places the bar on the back. Uh, good mornings, he's been able to tolerate, not with a high intensity, but he's never really good at them to begin with. And I, I find with some athletes, there are particular exercises that they don't have a great history with. And when he first started to go through symptoms, he worked with a, another individual that really kind of pushed barbell good mornings and led to like a really bad experience with him with those. So it's not in this particular instance in another, with another person, 100% absolutely would, would probably try, especially a Kang squat. I'd love Kang squats. With this guy in particular, I think it would just set up an expectation that would lead to a, a poor outcome in particular. And Jordan asked, you might have said this before, but if there was any difference in pain for high bar versus low bar back squats. I'm going to try the halting deadlifts. And... And I mean, I'm definitely going to try those. You guys ever play around with having him do isometrics between sets of symptomatic lifts and just if there's been any effect with that? Isometric. What's that? I have not. I'm just thinking about something even as simple as like a, a straight leg bridge or a, a fairly extended knee bridge just to get some more stimulus, even if it's low level on that like hamstring posterior leg area. I'm wondering if that has any any effect. Um, I, I found that to be, I don't know, somewhat hit and miss sometimes with, with some clients, but it's another way to try to expose them to something that makes them feel something in a, an area they want to protect. And, and I don't know, maybe it's something. Maybe. Like high um, tension, high tension bridge, isometric symptoms. Yeah, it could be yeah, as, as high tension as, you know, assuming that's asymptomatic or he can tolerate it well as, as high tension as he wants to or can go. Yeah, we can give that a shot as well. I played around last week with pre-exhaustion sets, doing an AMRAP at a really low intensity for him. Then we started off at like 185, and he went until he just couldn't breathe anymore. And then we worked up from there to heavier sets of five, and it took a lot longer for symptoms to come on, and then they did, you know. But it, it kicked it kicked us down the road a little bit further. Um, so, so that's one another thing I, I was playing around with because he was able to full squat with pre-exhaustion prior to it. Um, don't know how necessarily well that would go with something like a deadlift without proper stretch reflex and a few other things. But I think that's where I can use the halting deadlift in a in a same type fashion to to elicit the same type of response. Mm. Well, you never know. Sometimes the like tolerance has transfer. So if you, if he gets more tolerant with the deadlift, 
squats may just end up feeling better by proxy. You know, you, don't, you yeah. may not have to find that squat fix like you like you can find a couple deadlift variations where if your tolerance is tolerance, you'll be able to tolerate training better across the board. Yeah, I like that. We had played around a little bit with having a bench first before squatting, but that didn't didn't give us much much result. But his, his bench got really good. No symptoms with the arch and the bench. Mm-mm. Nope. Hmm. Yeah, my, my best bet would be the high hip deads or the halting deadlifts and see if that can't allow for some progressive loading. We'll get a progress report on the next one. I'll let yep. you guys know. There you go. Thank you.